happy Monday. This is Romeo One Oscar, and this is the PBF podcast number 10. I made a mistake yesterday uh, at the end of the PBF podcast number nine, and I said, this has been PBF podcast number eight, although I opened it properly. So, we do have PBF podcast number 10 coming to you. Uh, trying to get this out there because of we've posted many things to the page about what happened in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin. So there was a gentleman, uh, Jacob Blake, and he has been named as an individual that was shot in Kenosha by police last night. I'm going to read to you an article, heavy.com, and everything I'm going to be referring to, to as well, you will find on the PBFCKS Telegram. The links to our Telegram are on our Instagram. They are also found on our link tree. Our link tree is in various places across the internet. But all you need to do is on Telegram, you need to search for PBFCKS. It's our group. That's where we post all of our videos, or we try to. To our best ability, we post all of them. So let me go ahead and let me read from this article from heavy.com. Jacob Blake was named by Wisconsin's governor as the man who shot and seriously wounded by a Kenosha police officer at close range in a graphic video, in a graphic scene, excuse me, that was captured on video. The governor says Blake, 29, was shot in the back multiple times. There has been massive amounts of rioting slash insurgency that's been going on. You've got Blam Tifa, you've got the BLM, you've got Antifa. And if anybody wonders, why do you say Blam Tifa? Because the two are intertwined now. This is part of what is being paid for at a very, um, back to what I had spoken about the other day, Project Veritas has done work where they went behind the scenes and they spoke with people from Resist Fascism. Search the Project Veritas site to find their information on this. They did a in-depth look at uh, Antifa. Antifa, BLM have joined forces, so I say blam Tifa, because it's working together hand in hand. Remembering that BLM money goes to Act Blue, Act Blue funds Democrat candidates. BLM is a Marxist organization. Antifa is a, they call themselves anti-fascist. They are just a communist tyrannical organization. They want to overthrow our government. Antifa overnight attacked police officers with a brick. This may be something in fact that Nat G and I will go more into about the response to this, but I want to give a little bit more of just the news that's come out. And I'll talk about it, uh, a few other news articles. But I'm going to leave some of the real commentary deep dive for later um, in case uh, Nat G 
would like to have this podcast and we can discuss this. So back to the heavy.com article. Governor Tony Evers released the injured man's name. See, he was injured. Police. I'll get to some of this information. There's a lot going on. So apologies if this is a little joke. Governor Tony Evers released the injured man's name. Writing on Twitter tonight, Jacob Blake was shot in the back multiple times in broad daylight in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And I joined his family, friends, and neighbors in hoping officially that he would not succumb to his injuries. Wow. We do not have all the details, which I will get into the details. What we know for certain is that he is not the first black man or person to have been shot or injured or personally killed at the hands of individuals in law enforcement in the state. What an inflammatory statement, right? The Wisconsin police officer fired seven shots that appeared directed at extremely close range at Blake's back as he bent over into a car. The graphic video shows the August 23rd video captures the sound of seven gunshots. It appears the officer opens fire while holding the back of the man's shirt. So I think it's important. I mean... Why would this happen? Let's give a little background on uh, Jacob Blake. The graphic video shows the shooting happened at very close range. Blake's Facebook cover photo is a picture of cops as a pig and the devil, which is kind of interesting. So the police may have had reasons for why they approached him. What we do know is that this man has a criminal history and there is an open warrant in a domestic case. According to Wisconsin Circuit Court Access Online Records, Jacob S. Blake, same age and with an address in the exact same block where the shooting occurred, had a warrant issued for him on July 7th on pending accusations of misdemeanor criminal trespass to a dwelling with domestic abuse as a modifier, felony third-degree sexual assault with domestic abuse, oh, with domestic abuse as a modifier, excuse me, sorry, uh, oh, misdemeanor disorderly conduct with domestic abuse as a modifier, okay, so a number of charges. A support action was dismissed, and the other case that comes up is for not having a driver's license. A 2015 story in Racine Eye described how Racine police say K-9 Dozer had to help officers take a man into custody. man refused to go quietly into custody after he put gun at a bar. The man was described as Jacob Blake, 24, of Racine, which makes him the same age as the man shot by police on August 23rd. The Racine Eye story says he was charged with one felony count resisting arrest, causing a soft tissue injury to a police officer, and one misdemeanor count each of carrying a concealed weapon 
carrying a firearm while intoxicated, endangering safety use of dangerous weapons in its orderly conduct. Those charges don't show up on the circuit website, though. The story furthers alleges Blake and two women were at the Brass Monkey Tavern, 1436 Junction Avenue, when Blake got into an argument with another patron and pulled a handgun. Blake pointed the gun at the other man in the magazine and fell to the floor. The bartender told Blake to leave. He did, but then pointed the gun through a window at patrons inside the bar before walking south on Junction Avenue. Police stopped Blake in a high-risk traffic stop, but he exited the SUV and started walking towards officers in a advanced kid down. The story then adds, that's when officers were forced to take him and use a canine. He kept resisting. So, um, he has a history of resisting arrest, history of a weapon. The officers were telling him to get on the ground at the scene he was wanted on a warrant for multiple charges, including sexual assault. This, this man is being portrayed to us as some innocent person. He has a history. The police most likely were aware of this history, and he was not listening to their commands, and he was getting into the... Should he have been shot? I'm not there. I'm not the cops. I don't know what the interaction was. He's reaching into his vehicle and shot seven times. He's not an angel. It's, it's very troubling because what they're doing, what we're seeing happen here in our country is we have a system now where we are being presented with information about people who are not good individuals. And they're trying to turn these people into martyrs. We know that people were walking around Kenosha last night, brandishing weapons, and by the video that we posted to our page, shots were fired at the vehicle after they, the police, they let loose on some tear gas in response to the crowd. My thought is that there's a new wave of riots coming. We know this insurgency is well-funded. Project Veritas showed us that George Soros, Tom Steyer, give money to resist fascism. As I discussed in the podcast that I had last week with Nat G., the Obama sphere has warned us repeatedly that if we do not put them back in power using our electoral system, bring us to our knees. They attempted Russiagate, Ukraine gate, the Karunka stuff, Postal Gate is going on. There's a lot going on. We have not bent our knee to the corporate oligarchical bank-led technocracy. They weaponized news stories to further the, dis the destruction. Go out and protest, but you may not gather with your friends in prayer. This is where we're at, friends. So hopefully uh, Nat G would like to have a discussion later 
dive into more of the implications of what we have seen. Because as we know with George Floyd, they chose not to present all of the information to us initially. They left out serious parts, and it looks like even now, when the police stopped him, he may have consumed large amounts of fentanyl. We know that he had two to three times what is necessary for an overdose in his system. Fentanyl works rather quickly. This is quite probably what killed that man, and also why he was so uncooperative. I think anyone who has ever had fentanyl in their system, they can uh, attest to how powerful this is. A few other things I want to discuss here in the podcast. So over the weekend in Washington, D.C., you had Blamtifa targeting white spaces. White spaces are diners outside at restaurants. This is from Breitbart, uh, 823, um, written by Christina Wong. Protesters with Black Lives Matter signs and shirts shouted at diners were seated on restaurant patios throughout North Washington, D.C. over the weekend as part of a, quote, education camp. Time to get re-educated, folks. With many Washington restaurants now featuring patio seating due to coronavirus restriction, protesters have increasingly targeted diners now accessible from the streets. On Saturday, several pro-Black Lives Matter and other associated groups organized to protest throughout Northwest Washington, D.C., which includes the affluent Georgetown and DuPont Circle neighborhoods. As the protest as the sun started, excuse me, as the sun started going down, the protesters testers first targeted diners at restaurants on P Street, Northwest New DuPont Circles. Protesters shouted into megaphones and held signs that said "Black Lives Matter." Black Lives Matter. So there was a Dutchman journalist, Chuck Diano, that was there. They were confronting white spaces. You, you, you see imagery here. This is, again, up on our telegram. And they were holding up signs which read facts on Black Lives Murdered by Police. You know, got a question. What, 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 what qualifies as murdered by police? Again, knowing that last year, what was it, like 11 or 12 unarmed black men were killed by police. We have a little bit of... Uh, from the DuPont Circle, where they were actually marching through the streets. So, according to Chuck Modi, there were three different protest actions. From the D.C. Youth Liberation Front. And uh, acquaint yourself, if you go on Twitter, with these liberation fronts. You see these liberation fronts popping up in uh, Seattle, Portland. This is the first time I've seen the D.C. one. But it's, it's the same iconography that we see here. 
This one reports from the DC Youth Liberation Front. A white diner initiates clashes with protesters, <laughs> with protesters educating diners about black lives lost. So the people, if you're sitting outside at a restaurant in these city locations, as we've seen happen in Dallas, they're doing this across the country. They're coming to the smaller cities. They're organized. They're very well organized. People always try to say that Antifa is not organized. It's a movement. No. These individuals are well organized. They have people, I, somebody sent me a image from Idaho. There's like six teenage girls standing out in Idaho protesting. It's, uh, it is coming to a large city near you. It's well organized. I even have friends in Texas in smaller cities, and they've told me how when the last round occurred of the riots, you had buses of people from out of the city appear in the city in order to protest. Continuing on with DC, we discovered as well over the weekend, uh, there's a Julio Rosas. Julio is a, a former Marine. He works for, I believe, townhall.com. And um, he lets us know that protesters are heading back to, this is from 16 hours ago. Protesters are heading back to Postmaster General DeJoy's Washington, D.C. home because they have been protesting outside of his place. They are protesting outside of his place in large groups in order to make sure that they can vote through the mail. Large groups of people are protesting in close proximity to one another so that they can have mail-in ballots. Does that seem weird to anybody besides me? Yeah. So here's a, a little bit of the noise from outside there with their concert to call for the USPS having the ability to handle the expected influx of mail-in ballots. Very happy-go-lucky indeed. Then they make it to his home. And one of the major highlights from Julio Rosas' um, Twitter page was where a performer encouraged the crowd outside DeJoy's residence to put the middle fingers in the air and have a little shout. Let's hear what they shouted. So, a very stunning and brave moment in D.C. outside the Postmaster General's 
residence where individuals gathered in close proximity to one another in order to call for mail-in balloting. Again, remember, absentee ballots and mail-in ballots are two different things. Mail-in ballots mean that you're automatically going to be sent a ballot. Do not request this. Across the country, we have received notification from people that they've received five to 10 ballots at their residences. Always good to keep these things in mind. Now, uh, Andy No, who I know we've shared some of those things before, but over uh, last night, um, many people may have been distracted by what had occurred in uh, <clears throat> Kenosha. Portland is still going strong. The Portland police were trying to extinguish flames on their precinct, which were started by Blam Tifa. Weird. Why would they do that? Oh, that's right. To fund the police means let's get rid of the police entirely so that the insurgents, the tyrannical insurgents, can lead their own tyrannical state. And you can hear the Blam Tifa encouraging the burning of the building. Burn, baby, burn, they say. And you know, also goes on to say that hundreds of Blantifa seized Portland North Precinct again. They threw sharp ceramic chunks, large screws, rocks, paint bombs, and feces at police. They set the building on fire and then attacked officers putting out the flames. And you can see some video of this. The street's just a mess there. I mean, quite honestly, they're turning Portland into a some sort of... It reminds me of some of the things that I've seen. Uh, Maidan coup, uh, which occurred in Ukraine, as well as uh, some of the uh, South and Central American uh, various insurgencies, coups that have gone on. Uh, it's a, uh, this is very well organized people. It's third, I'm sorry, fourth and fifth generation warfare. It's decentralized command. Don't listen to anyone who tries to tell you that this is just some sort of random thing by people who just happen to be anti-fascist. And if you don't support Antifa, then you're pro-fascist. Yeah. The fallacies they love to throw at you. And one last story I'm going to put out here is from Byron York's Daily Memo Newsletter. This comes from the Washington Examiner. I've seen this, and apparently this isn't going away. Byron writes, latest tedious outbreak, Rose Garden Mania. It has been accepted, at least in some circles, that there is a condition known as Trump derangement syndrome. But if there are any 
who are still skeptics out there, consider the reaction to First Lady Melania Trump's renovation of the White House Rose Garden. So a little background, the Modern Garden was created by the Kennedy administration and updated during the first year of the Reagan administration, where former First Lady Nancy Reagan asked the godmother of the garden, who had created this for Jack Kennedy, to help re-energize it. That was 40 years ago. Some of the problems included that there were loose wires exposed. They were found everywhere and connected with electrical tape. Uh, the first lady, current first lady, Melania, one of the changes was a collaborative process, carefully crafted with the help of scholars and experts in architecture, horticulture, design, and historic preservation. Mrs. Trump said at an event christening the garden Saturday. Doesn't sound bad, right? Well, guess what? This is apparently, according to some people, including longtime Washington journalist Howard Feynman, the Trump Tam family did its best to turn the lovely Rose Garden into a neo-fascist uh, fascist parade garden. Easy for me to say, right? Neo-fascist parade garden. So, and then they presented before and after photographs of a newly renovated White House Rose Garden. A former New York Times journalist, Kurt Eichenwald, who has been the source of much erratic commentary in the Trump era, targeted Melania's background, saying it was a destruction of our history, something no other First Lady had the gall to do. Apparently, they presented pictures in full bloom and screen alongside the newly redesigned garden with fewer blooms in August because that's kind of how flowers work. Devoid of color, they somehow brought a white supremacy vibe to the Rose Garden, tweeted one. The Trumps are all Satan, said another. <laughs> you took away all the colors and turned... Jackie Kennedy's beautiful rose garden into a funeral home for white supremacists. I love how they just repeat these things, you know? Nazis, white supremacists. Byron York concludes this piece by saying the short version by weekends and white weekends end, the rose garden had become just another battleground in the Trump wars, like the post office, but even sillier. The First Lady's effort was serious, carefully done, and needed. But everything is fair game in today's supercharged political atmosphere, even flowers, again. It's a constant drumbeat at you. It wants these people in the media want to keep you on edge. They want to keep you fearful. The people in the media are going to repeat the fear. It's tiring, but I guess we ain't quitting on our end. Anyway, this is Monday. We are coming to you from PBF. This is Romeo One Oscar, and I am out.